You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Good morning, everybody. This is Annie for Showreel. And uh, <clears throat> there's a few technical issues going on here at 3CR today, but uh, we're still bringing you all the best stuff. And uh, today we're going to be talking about something that's really fascinating for uh, people out there in the Australian film industry. Um, the, well, the screen industry as it's been updated, um, given all the different uh, areas that uh, visuals are now being projected from. Um, screen rights, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about Screen Rights Cultural Fund. Screen Rights uh, is a um, an organisation that uh, collects secondary royalties in Australia, New Zealand and around the world. And uh, they're in the process of offering... Um, their cultural fund which supports innovative in new initiatives that foster the creation and appreciation of screen content in Australia and New Zealand with up to $50,000 funding available per project. Now this year, 2023, is a focus on new visions and uh, the applications opened in February and they close Wednesday 12th of April. But we've got Sarah Steele from Screen Rights uh, and uh, she's going to tell us a little bit more about it. I started off asking Sarah about what uh, Screen Rights does. The primary purpose of Screen Rights is we were set up to administer secondary royalty payments to uh, rights holders in broadcast content. So it's a bit of a, a long and <laughs> checkered history, but it's not checkered at all. We... Um, <laughs> Originally, teachers were copying uh, VHS tapes of shows from TV and showing them to their classes, and there was no copyright remuneration for the rights holders in that content. So Screen Rights was set up to track, uh, to licence that usage and to track the payments so that we could pay those royalties back to screen content creators. 
Uh, the reason why we're talking today is because of uh, Green Rights Cultural Fund, and I presume that there's a certain amount of funding flow through to uh, be able to run a cultural fund. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, we're dealing in kind of millions of dollars, I think around 40 million odd for the educational licence. And so we are... We have a capacity to be able to allocate a small amount of some of that money towards a cultural fund, which we started up in 2018. So it's in its sixth year, and we're really happy to be able to use some of that money to uh, put towards some amazing initiatives that benefit the screen industry as a whole, because everything we do, we want to help create a thriving screen industry. So to give you a bit of a background about the cultural fund and, and the types of projects it funds, it, the way that it differs from a lot of the other funding in the market is that it's not a production or a development fund. So it's not to put towards specific screen uh, projects, as in uh, screen content creation, but it goes towards projects that help to, you know, broaden access to screen content or to diversify the voices in screen. These kinds of initiatives that offer a real broad benefit to the industry. So we're trying to um, offer a fund in the landscape that doesn't duplicate what's already provided by the state and federal funding bodies. So this year, the focus of the 2023 Screen Rights Cultural Fund round is new visions. And I'll just... Um, I'll let you know what our board director, Rachel Anthony, who's the chair of the Cultural Fund Working Group, had to say about that. She explained it as new visions aim to help, aim to let us see something differently. Perhaps it's a reimagining of creative processes, an innovative way to connect with audiences, or a project which destroys stereotypes, or perhaps all of these. She says, every year we're thrilled to see the calibre and breadth of applications and how they interpret the theme. We encourage all the visionaries out there to submit. And um, I notice Back to Back, for example, which is well known here because it's a Geelong um, theatre company that had, has really punched up of its weight. But uh, it then made, uh, it went on to uh, create some of their uh, theatre productions on screen, which was supported by um, developments money from you, from from uh, the cultural fund. It wasn't to develop it, but to actually make it possible for them to move into the screen. Yeah, they're amazing, that theatre company. Yeah. That's a really good example of a project which did have a screen production kind of at its core. But what, what Back to Back Theatre were doing with this grant money was that they were creating an internship uh, model that could be used on other productions so that it could see people with disability employed and mentored in production roles. So while it was attached to the creation of a, a production, a, a screen production, it was actually much more about the, the model that they were then um, able to provide to industry so that it can have like a, a much broader impact than just that one project. It's trying to find projects that really can help the industry to thrive in all kinds of ways, which is why you know we're really open to the, the kinds of projects that we're looking fund and it's, it's sort of like it's a pretty difficult thing to explain but once you get your head around what we're trying to do it, it's pretty straightforward so I would recommend anyone who's interested in applying just to pop over to the Screen Rights website and check out the previously funded projects because you can see all the different kinds of things that we've funded since 2018 and it's kind of 
you know, anything from um, like a, a geodesic dome that toured uh, schools in New Zealand with screen content to increase access to a screenwriting mentorship program for uh, Aboriginal community members in the Kimberley. Like there's a huge breadth of, the, of projects that we fund. It's currently open for applications and closes on Wednesday the 12th of April. You can apply for up to $50,000 per project and you know that can be part of a project which has bigger funding and other funding streams from elsewhere or has in-kind support that's going to make up a bit more. Um, but we do fund less than that as well on smaller projects. We really we want to see all kinds of projects come through. And one thing um, one thing I'd love to share with your listeners is that we have a pr- process that was implemented last year for the first time, which is an expressions of interest process. And the way that that works is we really want to help um, individuals and organisations who perhaps aren't as familiar with grant funding applications. And could use a bit of advice and assistance on making sure that their application really shines because we know that there are amazing projects out there from people who just maybe haven't had the the experience with grant funding. So you can uh, pop in an expression of interest. It's a really simple form just with a few details about the project. That's open until the 31st of March, but those are rolling. So what would happen is our EOI consultant, who is external to screenwrites, she'll just in a video session at a time that's convenient for you both and really work through your idea with you and really help you to hone that application so that it can be the best possible application for the process. And that's open until the 31st of March, which then gives you another couple of weeks after that to actually put the application together after you get that advice. I can't wait to see the applications that come in. We just have so many amazing projects that come through and it's just honestly one of my favourite parts of my job. And that's Sarah Steele. She's from Screen Rights and she was talking about their Screen Rights Cultural Fund. And it's, as she was saying, not uh, purely for developing a, a, a project to screen. It's, it's a far more um, about the underwear of uh, the screen industry. And we had the opportunity to talk to Lena Nablus. She's from Diversity Australia, Arts Australia. Now, Lena tells us uh, a little bit more about how um, this funding from the Screen Rights Cultural Fund worked for them. First up, I asked her about what Diversity Arts Australia does. On. Um, thanks very much, Lena Nalus, for uh, coming on to the show. Uh, you're the CEO of Diversity Arts Australia, and I'd really love it if you could tell my listeners who you are, Diversity Arts Australia. Yeah, so Diversity Arts Australia is the national voice for ethno-cultural and migrant racial equity in the arts, screen and creative sectors. So um, we basically kind of work um, through advocacy research, um, facilitating conversations and connections, seminars, symposia, um, internships, traineeships, those kinds of um, things as well. And we also do strategic projects. Okay. And I noticed that uh, one of your big helpful things for the um, screen industry and the cultural industries across the board in Australia was a report that you did in 2018 called Shifting the Balance, which actually got some proper data instead of people just pontificating. Yeah, so that was a really big deal. So we did that uh, Shifting the Balance report, which was looking at cultural diversity or cultural and linguistic diversity 
in leadership within the Australian art screen and creative sectors. You're right, the data's from 2018, but we released the report in 2019. It was really quite an important report. Well, the thing about it is, is that uh, depending on the uh, makeup of the leadership in the cultural industries, they form a gatekeeper role, in a sense, to funding and the development of uh, uh, the diverse groups of people who want to express themselves. That's right. So we we looked at 1,980 people in leadership roles to determine, you know, their their, their kind of cultural background and their ethnicity. We looked at, so nearly 2,000 people across 200 of Australia's leading art, screen and creative organisations. And we found that um, on average, 9% of people from, you know, what is called culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds and we've used the um, we've used the ABS kind of definition so we actually looked at first second and third generation mm. um, so quite broad but only nine percent on there was only nine percent average of people from culturally diverse backgrounds in any kind of leadership role in the industry and that is us being you know at the time 39 percent of the population, people from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds, and probably higher when the new census data is all kind of collated and comes out. So it's pretty alarming, and half of the organisations that we surveyed basically had absolutely no one in any leadership roles who was from a culturally and linguistically diverse background. And like you said, leaders are really critical because they really do impact decision-making and priorities, agendas, like you said, they gatekeep and they really shape the culture of an organisation. They decide who gets employed, what films are going to be made, you know, all of that kind of thing. So I think we wanted to start with that and we were kind of starting as well in response to, and sometimes <laughs> including from the screen industry, the challenge that people had set to us, which is you can't prove that. Yeah, that's You can't right. prove that. You know, even though we knew it, we, we had that kind of lived experience. A lot of the people we worked with had been, you know, reporting their experiences of exclusion. And so we wanted to start there with leadership because we thought that's a really critical area and that's an area that we can measure. Yeah, yeah, it's quite clever. I mean, it's like that old furphy about women just aren't good enough and that's the reason for why they're not getting uh, leadership roles. I mean, it's just a load of rubbish, really. Yes. Yeah, so one of the questions that one of the journos asked after we released the report was, why aren't people applying for the jobs? Why? <laughs> and so it's, a, it's the same thing. And I was a bit, um, what's the word? Uh, like, I don't know, just a bit taken off guard by by that question. I was kind of like, no, no, no. It's not. It's not that people aren't applying. It's that they're being locked out of these roles, just in the same way that women have been locked out of you know a, a lot of areas of the industry for a very long time. And it's not because the talent's not there. It's because people hit it feeling and they, they're not kind of able to go any further. And I think, um, you know, I've spoken to you know, filmmakers who've said, I don't know how many more times I can be mentored or how many more times <laughs> I can be in attachment. Like, I, you know, I'm like in my mid-30s now or, you know, it's time. But there's, it, there's got to be those opportunities that are open to them, you know, and to support them to those leadership pathways or, or other areas of the industry. Oh, of course, it's also about, you know, what do people think are important stories to tell? And um, having um, people of a specific background choosing um, what's going to be shown 
and how people are going to be shown melds the entire culture of a country. We've got a responsibility, don't we? Yeah, totally. Yeah, we, we do. We definitely do. And um, and it's really, you know, important that there are people with lived experience with a diverse kind of amount of lived experience across the industry who are involved in deciding what stories get told and also di- directing and producing those stories that are told. Our friends at Media Diversity Australia released a report called Who Gets to Tell Australian Stories? They were looking at people who were news readers and, you know, people kind of, I guess, in bro- you know, broadcasting kind of roles and I, something like 75% were from Anglo-Celtic backgrounds. So that's not quite the same, I guess, as, a, you know, as, as someone just in the screen industry because they were looking across kind of broadcasting as well as green. But it's still very telling, I think. It's like 75% of people are from one particular background. But, and I know that there's a lot of complexity within Anglo and Celtic backgrounds, but it's still excluding a lot of, you know, a lot of the population, a significant amount of the population. And it's disproportionately high compared to Anglo and Celtic representation in the population. Oh, it's also about um, power dynamics and what pe- what's considered to be important. Uh, it's interesting. I did an interview with Beck Cole, who has made, uh, who's part of the crew of people who made. Uh, we are still here, and uh, there's a sequence in that film uh, where uh, that was put contributed by Samoans, and they were. There's a sequence in it where the fellow who's on, an Anzac soldier in the in the he's a Samoan. Uh, who who would have thought that poor old Samoans were in, at Anzac as well? Because it's a personal story. Uh, he's eating this horrible spam from a can and he throws it away. And uh, Beck said, perhaps we could leave that out because, you know, we want to tighten it up. And they said, no, 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 because it's really important. Because when the colonial powers came to our countries, they told, they got rid of our ability to actually feed ourselves locally and made us eat this horrible food so it was incredibly important and symbolic to them to leave that piece in but she didn't know that that's awesome that's really important and it's important that she listened and left it in because I think sometimes you do hear stories where people are particularly like if you're talking about people who end up playing a cultural consultant kind of role in on a film and they you know, uh, sometimes there's kind of stories about how uh, people who are not, who don't have lived experience are picking and choosing what sections of the story are the most relevant and in that process kind of deleting or, you know, editing out those really important stories that, like, I guess in Beck's case, she found out about that actually that was really symbolic of um, you know, colonisation and, and the impact that it had on people having control over their own land and production of food. That's a really awesome story. And Let's get on to this other thing, which is that uh, Diversity Arts Australia has fed into the Screen Rights Cultural Fund. They've funded uh, Fair Play on Screen. Is that right? That's right, yeah. So the Fair Play on Screen program is really focused on strengthening the screen industry particularly in the area of cultural and racial equity in terms of people from culturally diverse, people of colour, migrant and refugee backgrounds. But the program also, there were 13 masterclasses and it, also, it took an intersectional approach and also included 
uh, masterclasses that were led by First Nations people and people with disability or disabled people as well. So it was really about strengthening the screen industry in terms of its equity and inclusion goals by providing a series of masterclasses that were really that provided really actionable and practical strategies for organisations and companies to make change because particularly for small to medium green organisations and businesses, they don't often have access to this training, but we know that there is a desire to make change in, you know, the areas that they work in and to and to kind of think more and act more in terms of equity and inclusion and anti racism and you know, that was the that was the aim of the project. And initially we were going to work a lot more intimately with fewer organisations, but of course, you know, COVID and the floods and, yeah. you know, all of the <laughs> things that have happened over the last few years meant that we ended up being quite flexible, responding to what the people in the industry were telling us and developing it as a series of, yeah, 13 masterclasses that were also kind of available on demand afterwards for people who might not be able to make it. It was a tough time for the industry, but yeah. it was an amazing program and we had over 280 participants and um, a lot of organizations <laughs> so, so when you when you say that are you saying um, like the production managers and people like that from different places would have involved themselves in this yeah we had people from all over the industry we had like people from seesaw films from screen west from laundry lane from um, different film festivals oh. um, we had uh, some of the, I guess, service organisations like CineWest and Documentary Australia. So we, we had a real diversity of people attending in all different roles in the industry. Right, so though the intention uh, is uh, very open-hearted. They, they really want to have a more diverse industry. That's right. Yeah, I think that people do. And so the, the sessions were structured to be really relevant and practical. So there were sessions like, you know, how do you, you know, act as a director in an inclusive way? So like inclusive directing or how to be anti-racist in the screen industry and what that looks like. Trying to think cultural safety. We had a few sessions on cultural safety, on accessibility, but everything was tailored to the screen industry. We also had a pretty awesome session with Deborah Williams, who is from the UK's, Creative Diversity Network, which is a screen-based peak organisation over there. And she has lived experience as someone who's a black woman and disabled and extensive experience in the screen industry. So she also, you know, talked about towards an inclusive screen sector. So each of the sessions was really structured to be relevant to the industry and to be supporting people. And then we had those more, I guess, even more practical sessions about how do you put together an equity action plan or whatever oh, yeah. people okay. might call it. But, yep. yeah, so we also had sessions like that. All right. And are you seeing any outcomes, positive outcomes from this, or is it too soon to see? But, well, immediately afterwards and during, we, we had an awful lot of positive feedback. The yep. program didn't finish that long ago, so we will be doing, like, a follow-up in six months and we'll be doing another, you know, we'll, we'll be doing follow-ups in terms of, evaluation and seeing what the longer term effects of it are. We've had heaps of feedback. One thing that was really surprising was that we actually had a lot of people with lived experience, like people of colour, disabled people, attended the masterclasses. But some of those people 
we actually knew were very knowledgeable and very experienced in the subject area and we were interested to know what brought them in. We were so happy they were there because it made the conversation so much more richer and deeper and they were saying that a lot of them have experienced a lack of cultural safety or, or marginalisation within the sector but being able to be in a space where this is talked about openly and be, be able to have you know, be able to articulate that in this kind of collective way was actually quite empowering for them. That's a pretty cool outcome. Yeah. Uh, people, you know, people told us that they really felt like they had learned some practical skills in terms of, you know, how to attract more diversity in their workforce and that they were going to implement those, think more about things, listen more, um, reflect more, and also look at how they could extend, you know, the kind of cultural safety frameworks to the work that they were doing. So there was lots of feedback like that. I mean, considering that uh, people from diverse backgrounds, uh, culturally and linguistically, without even thinking about disability, make up 40% of the population. I mean, it's the norm. It's ordinary. It's the world. Yeah, and it's, that's why it's, it's every day, but it's, it's always so surprising and a little bit shocking when the underrepresentation is, you know, well, let's just say the overrepresentation of some groups, and yeah. it's along class lines as well. It's not just along race lines. Yeah, yeah, it's al- along all of those lines. It's it's a bit like that. Uh, it's not when you said what you just said. It's like it's not a black problem. It's actually a white problem. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> and so, yeah, I like that, and I like what you said earlier about power because it is about power, and it is about you know um, challenging that and you know, taking back yeah. <laughs> some of that power. Yeah. How, how much um, funding did uh, were you able to get from the Screen Rights Cultural Fund for this? Because it sounds pretty we, ambitious. Yeah, it was very ambitious. We got 25000 Good. Um, and so we were really happy with that. That's what we, we asked for. And then we kind of matched, you know, funding for that. But it really was like such an awesome pilot because, you know, what I really appreciated, Screen Rights were really there supporting us when we needed to adjust, adapt the program. They supported us the whole way through. But also it's it's super hard to get funding for this kind of work, which is not, you know, making a film, supporting the industry, you know, I guess in, in quite a deep way that can lead to some really significant changes in the way films are made and the kinds of films that are made in the industry. So just their vision in supporting us was really critical and it also was super successful. So as a result, we've been developing kind of online training offerings that we can also provide on demand and we'll be also trying to continue it and looking at other you know sponsors and avenues to be able to do this every few years like as a live thing and then also having some online training because the thing is with all industries in the creative industries there's always high turnover and also things shift language shifts ideas shift and so this kind of work there's no end point it's ongoing it's like ongoing learning that we all need to do I always tell my kids when I was at uni it was really radical to change he to she. They're really outraged by that because they say that's just really binary, Mum. You know, like things are always developing and, you know, shifting. So we need to... So, yeah, so being able to provide this ongoing and seeing it as something that is... It is ongoing. It's ongoing learning and we all need to continue to do it. 
And uh, that's the end of the program. We've just been listening to uh, Lena Nablos. Uh, she's from Diversity Arts Australia. Fascinating stuff. Uh, and uh, they were the recipient of funding from the Screen Rights Cultural Fund. Earlier we were hearing from Sarah Steele about the Screen Rights Cultural Fund. If you're interested, you should go to their website. The uh, closing date is April the 12th and uh, also uh, there's opportunities for people to brush up their uh, skills towards putting an application in. So uh, be alert to that when you go online to find out more about it. Uh, As I said, that's the end of the program. We're going to go out with a a song I'm absolutely in love with. listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.